Well, hey everyone, it's good to be here looking at God's Word with you today and however you're doing in COVID, you can be sure that God has something to say to you right where you are. So let's pray as we come to God's Word together now. Lord God, thank you that you love us. Please give us clear minds and open hearts to hear what you have to say to us today in your word, by your spirit, to know your love and the life of love that you call us to. Lord, help us not just to listen, but would you transform our lives by your love? For Jesus' sake, amen. Ephesians chapter 5, 1 to 14, calls us to a life of love. We all know that love is something special, something valuable, something priceless. Money can't buy love. Love is something we all want and we all need. But what is love really? And how do we live a life of love? In the English language, uh, it's pretty confusing when it comes to love. The ancient Greeks had seven words for love, give or take, uh, which ones you include in the list. We use the one word for so many different things. When we talk about loyalty and affection, uh, I love my family, I love my friends. When we talk about romantic love, I'm in love. Or when we just have an interest or an enjoyment of something like I love hot pot, or I love basketball, or I love music, or I love cars. All of these different things are different types of love, aren't they? Yet we have this one word. To make matters worse, love has become a cliche, an overused and misused word. And in fact, it's used in ways that are completely opposite from one another. And many of the ways that people use the word love today have nothing to do with the meaning of love we're going to talk about today. So, what is love? In this talk, I want to just ask these two questions. Um, look at what love is, what is love, and then look at what love is not. Because that's where the passage uh, goes today, Ephesians 5. So, let's take a look at it together. Firstly, what love is. Check that out with me in verse 1. It says, walk in the way of love. This walking is talking about a way of life, a lifestyle. Our lifestyle, our everyday choices, our thoughts, our attitudes, our words and our actions are to be characterized by love. That's what this is telling us. This is an imperative, a call to action. But how do we follow God's example of love? We are called to follow God's example as dearly loved children. Literally, we are told, told to imitate God. That's what the word here means. And notice that this is an expression of our identity 
as God's children, who we are, we're meant to imitate God, what we're meant to do. We should follow the example of our Heavenly Father, it says. You know, kids love copying their parents. Um, My son Sam would love to uh, put on my big shoes and try and walk around the house copying me. Or he'd love to, if I'm working at home on some odd jobs, fixing something up, he'll love to get his collection of tools and follow me around and measure things, bang things and drill things. My wife Chrissy really likes sewing and our girls used to have a toy sewing machine and they would love to sew things just like mummy. And now they even make sewing projects of their own. Kids naturally copy their parents. And in the same way, we are told that we don't understand what love is just by a definition, by a word study. We understand what love is by seeing an example and copying it. And that's what God gives us, this example in the Lord Jesus Christ. Read with me. Just as Christ loved us, it says, and gave himself up for us as a fragrant offering and sacrifice to God. Did you realize that the word love starts with a J and has five letters? You spell love J-E-S-U-S. Jesus is the ultimate example of love. Jesus gave himself up, it says, for us. This is talking about Jesus' death on the cross. The fragrant offering here alludes to the smoke rising up from the Old Testament sacrifices on the altar in the temple. Like the smell of a barbecue, it would be this tangible sensory experience of, wow, this powerful effect. And it would have been a reminder to those ancient Israelites of two things. Firstly, their sin, the fact that they have brought shame on God. And this brings death and degradation and cuts them off from God. And secondly, God's love for them, of providing a way of forgiveness and coming back to Him. And this pointed forward to Jesus who gives Himself up for us as this offering, this substitute, taking our death, taking our shame, taking our guilt so that we can be forgiven and come back to God. Jesus came into this broken world, broken by sin and suffering and death, filled with sickness and pain and sadness. And God sent his son Jesus into this world from the glorious throne of heaven that we can't even imagine to a a stable, to a world of, of dirt and blood and sweat and tears. And Jesus revealed God's kingdom, this spiritual reality to which 
we were blind. The battle of good and evil, life and death, heaven and hell, the judgment that we face, the curse on the earth because of sin. And Jesus came to die on that cross to reverse the curse and then rise to life, defeating the power of death and promising a whole new creation, a whole new world where there'd be no more sickness, suffering and death and evil. A whole new creation where we will live in eternal joy and peace with God in glory with each other. This great news of the gospel is what we've seen in the first half of the book of Ephesians, Ephesians 1 to 3, God's mysterious grand master plan revealed through, he planned from the, the beginning of time and revealed in these last times with the coming of Christ in the message of the good news of the gospel. Chapters 1 to 3, God's mysterious plan come to um, come to fulfillment in Christ. And chapters 4 to 6, now we're looking at how we live out this plan of all things coming to unity in Christ, how we live this new life that God has given us. And here we see that this is why Jesus died, because of God's love for us and to bring us into that life of love, because it was the only way to save us and the world. Who Jesus is, what Jesus did and what Jesus will do, that is love. Jesus is our portrait of love, our model of love. God is love and Jesus is God come to earth as a man. You want to see God? Look to Jesus. You want to see what love is? Look at Jesus and his life, his death and his resurrection. This shows us what this life of love is. It's a commitment to God and the good of others. It's a life of giving ourselves up in service of God and others to see others saved. That's what Jesus did. That's what Jesus was passionate about. That's what love looked like. That's what he shows us. You know, you could call this life of Christ this life of loving service to God and others, the cross-shaped life, the cross-shaped life, the life shaped by grace, the life in the shape of loving service of God and others. It's like the cross of Christ is that symbol of God's love and grace. When we experience this cross-shaped love of Christ, it shows the way we need to live every day, and it produces in us this cross-shaped love, this cross-shaped life. You know, I was um, running, going for a run one day, and I've got this app on my phone where uh, it will track your, um, your distance, how many, how many Ks you've done, it will track your time, how long it took you, and at the end of your run, you look back and it will show you a map of where you ran. And one day I look back and I'm um, checking out my, my run, and I'm like, oh, it's kind of the shape of a cross. And it got me thinking. Obviously, we're not talking about literally the shape of a cross has some significance, but that pattern of Jesus' life, when we look back over our life, will we see our lives patterned? on Jesus' life, the cross-shaped life? Will we see a life of loving service of God and others? 
Is that what we'll see? When you look back at your last year, last month, last week, do you see this pattern of love, of God's love in your life? Do you see the cross of Christ, the grace of God in Jesus, defining your thoughts, your attitudes, your actions, your values, your priorities, your words, your way of life? A life of following Jesus, seeking God's kingdom first. A life of service of God and others, serving in love. A life where you used your time, your energy, your resources, your skills, your abilities in service of the King. Are you planning for the future? A life of serving God in order to build up His church. You know, traditionally in church architecture, there's a common pattern of a church. You go into these old cathedrals and you'll notice that their plan is in the shape of a cross. This is because of this same reason, uh, an intentional design of the architect to remind us that the gospel is central, the cross is central to life. What we're called to as a church is the cross-shaped life. Church is not about a beautiful building. Church is not about neo-Gothic architecture. It's about the people of God. Sadly, many of these great cathedrals planned out in a shape of a cross have lost the central message of the gospel of Jesus that this cross is all about. Is your life a cross-shaped life? Are you prioritizing God's work, knowing and telling the gospel, that life of grace, that God's love shines through you in, in His goodness and kindness, is that what characterizes your life? It's the mum who lovingly leads and disciplines her kids, teaches her kids in God's ways, year in, year out, because she loves them, showing them both tender love and tough love and discipline, giving up other opportunities because of her commitment to her kids, because this is the way of love. It's the dad who juggles work and family time, providing for the physical needs, but committing to being there for his family, building that relationship, modeling Jesus, teaching his kids about Jesus. Even when he comes home exhausted, because this is the way of love. It's the doctor who gives up the prestige and money of a career in medicine to give their time and work to the, to the work of the gospel, because this is the way of love. It's the manager who knows that their time and money is not their own. They are a steward of God's resources. God's money, God's time. And they use what God has given them to support the work of the gospel, missionaries on the field, the work of the church. It's the church deacon who plans their life to serve and lead the church, making that their priority because they know that that is 
God's priority. Even though they work hard in their work, they make it a priority to serve and lead and grow the church because this is the way of love. So that's number one. What is love? What is this love look like secondly what love is not that's where paul goes next so we've established what love is a life saved by jesus living like jesus a cross-shaped gospel-shaped life paul now puts a fence around this idea and starts defining it in contrast to other things he says but among you, there must not even be a hint of sexual immorality or of any kind of impurity or greed, because these are improper for God's people. Not even a hint. We are called to the highest moral standards. We must pursue what is right and good. And these are repeated again then with a sober warning, repetition, when you see something repeated, you know this is important, they're emphasizing it, making a point. It says, for this you can be sure, no immoral, impure or greedy person, such a person is an idolater, has any inheritance in the kingdom of Christ and of God. Warning, these things are so powerful, they will take over your life. Before you know it, they'll become your God. They will dominate your life. You know, we all serve something. If we don't serve God, we find ourselves serving other things, things that can never save or satisfy. Notice the three categories that are repeated here. Firstly, sexual immorality. The word here is porneia, from which we get our word for pornography. And it means basically anything outside of God's good plan for sex. God made sex and sexual desire as a good gift and God has given good instructions about sex to guide us in how to enjoy this gift from Him. But amidst the kind of culture that we have, the pornified culture, it's challenging to be sexually pure. We need to trust God and His plans for this gift of sex, knowing that His way is best. Following God's standards for sex and marriage is a long way from what we see in movies, TV and popular culture. But God's way is the way to enjoy real love and fulfilment. The second impurity is akathasia. It means something unclean something disgusting, something like rubbish. Imagine a drop of poison in a glass of water. It only takes a small drop to make something healthy become something very bad for you. And our culture is full of impurity because impurity sells. That leads to the next of the three, greed. This is pleonexia. It comes from the word for uh, play on more, more, from this word for much, many or more. It's this insatiableness, this always wanting more. You know, our consumer culture makes greed not only normal, 
but it makes greed good. Greed is kind of like the way the whole system is built around. The consumerist motto is basically greed is good. And sadly, it's a system that rewards injustice. It's a system that creates unfairness and it creates dissatisfaction dissatisfaction on a massive scale. Think about it, like advertising, right? Its very purpose and design is to make us want things we haven't got. Advertising is designed to create this state of greed, of play onexia, I want more, I want more, I want more. What I have is not enough, I need more. We live in a culture of greed, keeping up with the Joneses. Greed is basically the air we breathe in our capitalist consumer society. Paul is saying all these things are out of place and harmful. It's when desires take over our lives and they become out of place, they become destructive. You know, desire in itself is a good thing given by God to show us our needs and point us to what we are hungry for, what we are looking for, what we are yearning for. And as C.S. Lewis ultimately, he, he says, ultimately our desire for God teaches us that um, because God has created all these desires and good things to satisfy them, our desire for God points us to the reality that God also exists and is there to satisfy our ultimate desires. Eternity is there and is there to ultimately satisfy our desires. But desires can also be twisted and become destructive. And that's what Paul is talking about here. You know, in Ephesians, in the first century, they worshipped these idols of lust, of impurity, of greed, as literal idols, literal carved images, like Artemis in literal physical temples. 2,000 years later, in the 21st century, we worship the same things in our culture. Our culture worships lust, worships impurity, worships greed, just under different guises, not in physical temples, but in temples of spaces of worship, like uh, markets, shopping malls, the internet, shrines devite, devoted to serving the false gods of our own desires. And these false gods don't fulfill us, don't satisfy us. They grind us down. They make us frustrated, unsatisfied, unfulfilled. You know, just as hate is opposite to love and uh, the Epistle of John, he says, fear is the opposite of love. We can see that lust and greed and impurity are opposites of love. Love refines us and makes us who we're truly meant to be. Lust and greed degrade us and break us down and, and make us not who we're meant to be. Love builds us up and Lust and greed just degrade us. Love empowers us. Lust and greed overpower us. 
Love gives and receives. Lust tries to take and steal, but gives us nothing. Love fulfills us. Lust and greed leave us craving for more. Love brings freedom. Lust and greed are slavery. Paul goes on to give us a vivid picture of the contrast between this love and good and this lust and greed and bad. Imagine a cave lost in complete darkness. You're inside and everything is black. You can't see anything. No idea of what's around you or where you can go or how to get out. You're trapped in complete, utter darkness. It's a horrible thing to even imagine, isn't it? But that's spiritually where we are without Jesus, without God's love breaking into our world. Read with me in verse 8, he says, For once you were darkness, but now you are light in the Lord. Live as children of the light, for the fruit of light consists in all goodness, righteousness and truth. And find out what pleases the Lord. Now we are called to live in the light. Not only that, we're called to set others free by sharing the light with them. Shining our light of goodness, righteousness and truth in the darkness of our culture, of our world. Living in a way that pleases God. In line with the Bible, we're called, have nothing to do with the fruitless deeds of darkness, but rather expose them. Everything exposed by the light becomes visible and everything that is illuminated becomes a light. This is why it is said, wake up, sleeper, rise from the dead and Christ will shine on you. Scholars believe that these last lines are a quote from an early Christian hymn. Wake up, sleeper, rise from the dead. And Christ will shine on you. In 2018, a team of football players got lost in a cave in Thailand. Imagine them over days and days and days trapped in the darkness, not sure if they were going to get out. Imagine when the rescuers came, when they saw those rescuers' lights coming to save them and bring them out into the light of day out of this cave where they would be stuck in darkness facing their death. Imagine the joy of being saved. Imagine then the joy of being saved from eternal darkness and death, from eternal trouble and being saved into eternal joy and glory and light. I want to stop here and give just a few points of application. First, I want to ask, do you know God in Jesus? That light in the darkness of this world Have you received Jesus? Have you accepted Jesus? Recognized Jesus 
as God come to save you. Until we, until we do that, we can never know the fullness of God's love for us. And only when we do that do we step into that life of love that God has called us to. It transforms everything. It's a whole new world. So if you haven't done that today, I want to invite you. God is calling you to himself. God is inviting you to receive his gift of love in Jesus. God is inviting you to this life of love, to this life of walking with him, following Jesus in the way of love. Maybe you, you've wandered away from God. Maybe you used to know God, but you've wandered away. God is inviting you back to him to remember this gift of love in Jesus and to come back to the life of love. Where yet, wherever you're at today, God is calling you to live the life of love. And we do that by coming to him through Jesus and then by following in Jesus' way, living like Jesus, the cross-shaped life. And that is a life of true love where we experience this beautiful thing that is so priceless, the love of God that then shines our light to others. It's like if you imagine that cave, that darkness, and then someone gives you a light, but you also get a light to give on to others. And as you shine your light, you share the light, and the light goes on and on and breaks out the darkness until other people you're giving the light you're sharing the light you're shining the light and the light takes over the darkness and that's the beautiful picture of the life of love that we see here today so let me pray to close lord god we thank you so much for your love for us in jesus and we thank you that you call us to live a life of love and you show us how to live that in following Jesus. And Lord, I pray that each one of us will know your love for us in Jesus and that you will help us walk on in that life of love. For Jesus' sake, amen.